you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 6. If not, we're going to project the words on the screen for you so you can see them. And as you're able, would you please stand to hear these important words. Now, these are the red letters, so these are the words of Jesus. Please take note. Jesus said, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. May God instruct us today through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. In your bulletin today, there's this volunteer insert, and I'm going to be asking you to respond to it at the end of the service today, so you might want to have that handy. That'll be great. Thanks so much. Now, in our passage today in Luke chapter 6, there are three concepts here with their corollaries. Uh, The first thing Jesus said is, do not judge and you will not be judged. Don't condemn, you won't be condemned. He said, forgive. If you forgive others, then you will be forgiven. Very important. And then he said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So you can't outgive God. Can't outserve God. Can't outpace God in this way. And so most of the times that uh, this passage is used, it's in the context of giving money. But there is a much wider implication here. God is speaking to us about the importance of being a giving, generous, gracious, open-hearted, open-handed person all the time. As a lifestyle, as an attitude of life, as a perspective, as a worldview, I am a giving person. I see opportunity all around me and the resources that God has placed at my disposal, not just money, but my time, my talents, my capacity, my experiences, my unique passions, those can all be put into play in service to others. And so that's, that's the mandate. Now, let me just challenge you with this thought. There are too many people in our culture, even Christian people, who dole out their lives in pennies. Now think about that. People who live their lives mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually with an attitude of poverty, an impoverished spirit, a worldview of poverty or lack or not having enough. The fear that is produced in us because of our fallen human nature is this fear of being diminished. Somehow in our corrupt, uh, fallen nature as human beings, We convince ourselves that if I'm a giving person, that whatever I give, I'll be diminished by. If I give it away, then I'll be be left with not enough. I'll live with lack. So So that if I offer myself my time, my talent, then somehow I'll be reduced by it and lessened by it and left empty by it. But that's actually a lie. That's not the truth. What Jesus said is if you will give, be a giving person, gracious person, a generous person, an open-hearted person, that if you give your life away like that, that it will be given back to you in great measure. And so that's the promise. Now, we all suffer from this poverty attitude, this poverty concept, this mentality, this worldview. We all suffer for it because of our fallen human nature. And fallen human nature is easily observable. For example, if you have two 18-month-old children in the nursery, one of them has a toy that the other one wants, it will try to take 
that toy from the other 18-month-old, and the 18-month-old who has the toy will then clock or bite the 18-year-old trying to steal their toy. And listen, the only people who don't believe in original sin are folks who've never had children. <laughs> it's there from the very beginning, the earliest signs. Beth and I are the proud grandparents of a set of twins at this point, whom we find quite precious. And we recently learned how many pacifiers it takes to satisfy a set of twins. And the answer is six. One for each mouth and one for each of the four hands. Because if there's a mouth empty or one hand empty, that person will be going for what the other person has. And the fight will be on. This is part of our corrupt, fallen human nature. It's in all of life. The tendency is in all of us. So we must unfetter ourselves. Give ourselves permission to jettison, to un unsuit ourselves from this tendency to be conservative and withhold rather than to be a generous, gracious, affirming, praising kind of person. I learned uh, relatively early in my life that I was going to be able to overcome this tendency. And I'll tell you the context of it. This was a middle school basketball game. I can't remember what grade I was in for sure. Maybe it was eighth grade, maybe ninth grade. Middle, middle school um, basketball game. We traveled. It was, a, it was a road game to Delphi, Indiana. I got to Delphi and the game started. It was a six-minute quarter, 24-minute game. And the reason I remember it, no one else who was there playing the game or watching the game that day remembers anything about it. I'm, the, I'm sure the only one. And the reason I remember the game so vividly is because I, I uh, was in the game, I was playing the game, but I never scored one point. And it wasn't just not scoring, it was the number of attempts I made trying to score. I actually went, I actually went 0 for 14 from the field. Now let me ask you a question. Who, who or what kind of a person would go 0 for 14 in a game? I'll tell you the kind of person, a person like me, a person who believes that the next one's going in. What goes through the psychology of a person who's missed 13 shots in a row? I figured this out. I wasn't in the game all the time. I, I kind of imagine uh, just in, tw in a 24-minute game, I was maybe in the game, you know, 15, 18 minutes, something like that. It means that I was almost getting a shot of a minute <laughs> and missing every one of them. <laughs> and it was, it was just... Uh, you know, difficult to take, but it didn't stop me from shooting because I believed that the next shot would go in. Now, friends, here's what I learned about myself. I learned about myself that I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep shooting. I'm going to shake that off. I'm going to shake that off. Okay, I had a bad experience. I'm going to keep going because the next time it's going to be better and the next, the next effort is going to produce and the next opportunity is going to be realized. And that's what all of us have to come to terms with. We all are going to fail. We're all going to be short. We're all going to have disappointing experiences. We're all going to suffer lack from time to time. We're all going to have challenges in life. That happens to all of us. But it shouldn't keep us from trying. It shouldn't keep us from getting in the game and making an effort and continue to be open-hearted and open-handed so that the people around us can actually benefit from the gifts that God has given us. Now, let me just give you a few ideas. It's on your outline. Here's the first one. Give your words. Give your words. Compliment your spouse. Praise your children. Affirm your associate. 
Thank your teacher. Thank the coach. Thank the police officer. Thank the public official. Why not? What's it going to hurt? Thank your pastor. You know, the, our, our primary pastor around here, his name is Glenn, Glenn Griner. He was just up here doing the announcements. Find Glenn and thank him for being such a good pastor. Be generous. Dads, could I just say to you, just as an example, tell your daughters how beautiful they are. Tell them how much you love them. Tell them that the sun comes up in their eyes. Tell them that their complexion is like peaches and cream. Tell them that their, their hair is the most shiny thing you've ever seen. Tell them they are the most precious, most valuable, most wonderful, beautiful thing that's ever walked the face of the earth. Now, let me ask you something. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. Are they special? They are special. Now, you may think, well, if I say all those things to my daughter, I'll be overinflating my daughter. She'll think of her, more, too much of herself than she should. No, no. You will not, listen, you will not overinflate your daughter. What you will be doing is you will be boy-proofing your daughter. You will. Because there will come a day when some teenage, teenage boy, uh, better known as a mistake with a zipper, will, <laughs> will be close to your developing daughter. And he'll get really close. So she'll, he'll cozy up to her. And he'll lean over and whisper in her ear, this is going to happen to her. It will happen to her. And he will say to her, you are beautiful. And if he's really desperate, he'll say, I love you. Because boys will say anything they, to get what they want. And in that moment, listen to me, if that's the first time in her life she's heard that, and she's been longing to hear it, she's desperate to hear it, she needs to hear it. If that's the first time in her life she hears it, she'll be vulnerable to what happens next. But if you've been telling her this her whole life, let me tell you what she'll do. I'll tell you what she'll do. She'll hear some mistake say, I love you, and she'll go, listen, my daddy's been telling me I'm beautiful and lovable my whole life, and I actually feel that value, and I don't owe you anything. So you can just take your mistake and go somewhere else. You'll, you'll boyfriend. If you tell her now, she will be protected then. Praise your children. Tell them how smart they are, how creative they are, how gifted they are, how strong they are, how lovely they are, how talented, how special they are. When Beth and I raised our two boys, when they were boys, there was not a night that went by when we didn't tuck them in bed, pray over them, and then tell them how much we love them and how special they were. And sometimes you could tell they were, they were able to hear it, and other times they weren't willing to receive it. And so you just keep saying it because it's the truth, isn't it? Isn't it true? That boy is special. That girl is beautiful. She is unique in all the world, isn't she? That's God's honest truth. So you're just speaking the truth into their lives, and you will build them up. The compliment you give to your spouse or your children does not diminish you. You are not less for giving out praise. You're better for it. You're better for it. Because when you give, it's given back to you. And so you've got to get out of this diminishment, this poverty mentality, and you've got to give. Now, sometimes I've discovered in my life that when I'm slow to compliment, slow to encourage people around me, it's because uh, my tank is, is low. Maybe my emotional tank, my spiritual tank, my relational tank gets low or near empty. You know, and you're, if, you're in a, if you're in a profession or you're in a culture where you're giving all the time and giving a lot, 
You can get deplenished. And that's why it's so vitally important that you stay connected with God and stay prayerful and keep your, and keep your life on balance so that your reservoir can be filled so that you can constantly be ready to give. Let me just say this to women. I know this is a little one-sided, but please forgive me for that. But I, I need to say this, I think, today. Listen, women never publicly criticize your husband. Never. Do you hear the word never? Never publicly criticize your husband. And rarely, don't, don't, don't give up on me yet. Just stay with me. And rarely privately criticize him. So if I'm not keeping him in line, who's going to do it? <laughs> Listen, it's not the most important thing he needs. The words like, you're the best, honey. You're a great husband. You're a great father. Thank you for gathering us for church on the weekends and taking us to worship and fellowship. You are a wonderful provider. You are a great lover. This is so important for men to hear. So important for us to hear. We give the impression that we're all together and in control and we can manage it, we can handle it, and we're all tough, but it's not true. What, what all men are essentially are wounded little boys who need their mother. We give, we give off the impression that we've got everything under control, but it's not true. We're just as terrified as everybody else and wondering what's going to happen next. We do the best we can to try to put on a good face, but we need admiration. We need affirmation. We need appreciation from the women in our lives. And it's so important that you're not criticized. My wife is married to a preacher. Now think about that. She's married to a preacher. Many weekends, she has to listen to me preach four times. I mean, try to comprehend that. That's painful, isn't it? That's a, that's a commitment. <laughs> and, and sometimes I'll ask her, do you think I preach too long? Now, that's the equivalent of a woman asking her husband, do you think I look fat in this dress? So, so she, that's a, like a signal to her. Do you think I preach too long? <laughs> and she will say, no, no. You didn't preach too long. I, in fact, I could listen to you preach all day. I nearly did, but no. I, it wasn't too long. See, men have a deep psychological need for admiration. When, when you withhold affection from him, it hurts him. And vice versa, when he withholds praise from you, it hurts you. It's so important to give the words. Guys, say the words. If you're not good at the words, then when you're alone and no one can overhear you, practice. Practice saying them. The words that you, that you can say to your wife, I love you, you're special to me, uh, you're important to me, your children are precious, they're special, I love you, I'm proud of you. Practice saying those words so that when you're with them, then work up your courage and say them. Don't be afraid that it will somehow empty you of your life because it won't diminish you. It'll actually fill you if you'll say them. When Beth tells me I'm a good husband, and she does from time to time, it helps me. Every time it helps me. And when she tells me I'm handsome, you know, well, look, you know, I enjoy it when she lies to me. Really, I don't mind. It's okay. Yeah. What's it going to cost you? A generous answer can turn wrath into happiness if you'll say the words. If someone tells me they're from another church, and this is just a habit that I formed over the years, someone says, well, I attend such and such a church in the area, and my pastor so-and-so, I always have a standard answer. Oh, that's so great. 
And, and if I know anything about the church, I will say something complimentary. If I know anything about the pastor, I'll say, she is a wonderful person. He is a great leader. And I just am complimentary that way. I mean, what's, what's it going to cost me to say those words? You know, if someone wants to go to a second-rate church, you know, that's their business. So I, so I, just, I just compliment them. <laughs> it's a good thing. Be gracious. Be a generous person. Be a giver. That's what I'm saying. Say the words. Now, here's the second thought. It's on your outline. Give your money. Give your money. I've always been curious when people put a check in the offering for $219.13. People do this, you know, $219.13. I know what's going on there. They have calculated to the penny what their tithe is supposed to be. And they're not going to give God one more penny than he deserves. Here's, here's just my advice. Round it up. Round it up. What's it going to hurt? Round it up to the nearest dollar. It'll, it'll, it won't be so painful. <laughs> Just do that. It'll be good for you. Now, I know the tithe is the Lord's, but when giving becomes fun, hear me now, when it becomes joyful, when it becomes delightful, then it's in keeping with God's best plan for the way you should be in your life of stewardship and giving. It, it should be a joyful, joyful thing. I, uh, I told you some months ago, maybe some of you remember, my family bought me, for Christmas last year, an extreme driving experience. And this deal was that you could pick a racetrack somewhere in the United States and select a supercar, you know, out of the Lamborghini, uh, Porsche, GT3, uh, Ferrari, 400 Series, Audi R8, uh, Corvette Z06... <laughs> Nissan GTR, those, that category, 500 horsepower and up, and supercars. So you, 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 you pick one of these supercars, and then you, the, you meet these folks at one of these uh, road courses across America. So about three weeks ago, Beth and I drove up to Brooklyn, Michigan, where Michigan International Speedway, and I got in an Audi R8 V10, 550 horsepower car, and drove it around the road course there, mile and a half road course, the, uh, the straightaway on the road course at Michigan International is 2,300 feet. And so when you make the corner, last corner, and face the straightaway, you just put the pedal to the metal, and you have 550 horsepower singing your song. And you got up to about 130 miles an hour on the straightaway before really hard braking and make the left-hand corner and around again. It was great fun. The... The uh, video camera was on inside the cockpit of the car, and so I am visible with my partner who drives with me. They don't let you get in those cars by yourself. That would cost more money. And, and so you've got a, a ride-along guy who's a professional, and he's giving you these hand signals about where to turn, and, you know, the fist is the brake, brake, brake. And I got him to raise his voice and, and to give me that, Oh, God, please stop, slow down. One time, and it was, that was one of my goals, uh, to, to scare the stink out of the guy riding along. It was just a great time, great fun. So, so I, I did that. And, and the reason that my family knew that I would enjoy that is because, is because uh, they know that I like to go fast. And they, they know I like, I like things that perform. I like, I like precision. I, this is what fascinates me about the whole high-performance world. Um, I would have a high-performance motorcycle, for example, except 
my, my current mother will not let me get one. And, I, for example, I would have a pilot's license for sure right now. I would. I know I would, except my mom won't let me get one. And so fast cars, though, somehow that slides under the tag, and my mom thinks that's okay. And so, you know, you can take what you can get. And so some of you know that I have on my bucket list that I want to buy another fast car, and, and I've had a couple in my life. And, and about a year and a half ago, most of you don't know this, I actually did buy another fast car, and I was enjoying it very much. It was a lot of fun, and, um, and I drove it for about a year and a half. But here's what I want to tell you. Three months ago, I sold it. And so why, why did you sell your car? <laughs> Some of you, I had it at church a few times. Some of you noticed, is that your car? That's a cool car. And, and so, yeah, I was enjoying it, but I sold it. Now, let me tell you why I sold it. I sold it because Beth and I realized that, that we can't keep the car and give to the capital campaign, our REACH campaign, at the level that, that we want to, that we feel is appropriate. And so we, we couldn't do both. And so we sold the car. Now, before you go, oh, pastor, you sold your fast car. You love that car. Why, why would you give up your car? If, if that's your attitude about it, then you will completely miss the point. I am not sad about selling the car. It's just a car. It's just a car. I can get another car someday, maybe. God willing, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. What's the matter? It's just a car. But what really is, is life-giving and enjoyable is the idea that now we're in a position that we can give more. That's where the joy comes. That's where the excitement comes. That's what God loves. God loves a cheerful giver. When it becomes joy, when it becomes delight, when it becomes uh, enjoyable, then you know that you're in the sweet spot of what God intends for us as people who give, who give of ourselves, who give our lives, and, and give, give of the passions that God has placed within us. That's what matters, and that's what God does. Uh, if, I, if I or you see a panhandler on the street... Listen, give him a few bucks. You say, well, that's naive, Pastor. You shouldn't do that. You know that he's going to spend it on booze or he's too lazy to work or all these other comments that you have. Listen, what's it, what's it going to cost you? Give him a few dollars. What's it matter what his story is? Just be a generous person. Is it going to hurt you all that much? not going to hurt you to give, give someone a little money. Just give it to them. Don't live life with a calculator in one hand and a ruler in the other hand. That's not a way to live. That's not joyful. That's not helpful. Here's another encouragement to you. Don't, don't ever let a missionary offering pass you by. In just a few weeks, we're going to be talking about our Christmas offering this year. And, of course, we'll fund Blood and Fire's Christmas store with Bob and Stacy downtown there. And they'll serve 300 families a beautiful Christmas because of our generosity. Listen, that's joyful, isn't it? That's good. And we're going to be talking about a mission initiative that we're, we're unfolding for next year. And part of our offering for Christmas is going to go toward that. Listen, how about this? When the Christmas offering comes up in a few weeks, let's knock the socks off that thing. Let's just, just, just crack that thing. Just crash it. Just, just maul that thing. Just work it over. And, and find the joy in it. You know, the only, the only thing that matters in the next life is what you've invested in eternity, right? It's paying it forward, right? 
all the stuff that we have. You know, America is an amazing place. Um, it, it's a crazy place where we, we think that, that having more will make us happy, that will give us joy. And it's just not true. Anytime I'm here at the office over the years and someone comes into the office asking for money, and, and uh, this used to happen a lot. It still happens a lot, frankly. You can imagine people just oh, come off the street and want to get some help. And we've got a process for that. But there have been many times when, you know, the hour was a little off and I may have been the only one here, you know, with a, with a couple of support staff and someone comes in, is the pastor here? They want to, always want to talk to the pastor. And, and so when I talk to these folks, look, I, and I've, I've talked to dozens of people like this, I always reach in my pocket and give them some money. They tell me this story, nine times out of ten, the story's just a big, a big pile. And it's not true. And, and so I'll, I'll, hand, I'll reach money like this after a brief conversation, and they reach out to take it, and I won't let it go. And, and I make them make eye contact with me. I look them in the eye, and I say, look, I don't believe a word of your story, but I'm giving you this money because I'm a generous person and because Jesus has changed my life, and he can change your life. He loves you, and he has a plan for your life, and you should know him. And people say, oh, no, no, it's, I'm telling you the truth. You know, my mother would be so happy to, in Tennessee, you know, blah, whatever, blah, blah. <laughs> but, but what's it cost me? What's it matter? Help, help somebody. Here's, here's what I want all of us to have this attitude. When it comes to lubricating the tracks of God's blessing toward our church, you make sure that you are a person who keeps those tracks lubricated. See, lubricity in life is based on our willingness to be open-hearted and open-handed. This is where real meaning, real fulfillment, real satisfaction, this comes from. It's not from how much you can get and keep. It's how much you can actually offer and give. That's the context in which real life comes to us. Jesus said, unless you're dead, you can't be alive. Unless you serve, then you can't, you can't lead. Unless you go, go lower, you can't be elevated. This is, this is you know, the upside-down kingdom. The world tells you to climb the mountain, stay on the top of the mountain, be king of the mountain. But Jesus said, go low, go low, and you'll see your life exalted at the proper time. And so this is the great mandate. This is the great challenge. We were in a Kazakh village years ago. As you know, we've had initiatives in Kazakhstan for many years, and we were in this small village, and old grandpa in the village there, very modest, very poor. And there were six or eight of us in our contingent. And they were going to serve us dinner that night. And two questions that are culturally acceptable in Kazakhstan are these. Now watch this. It is perfectly acceptable in Kazakh culture to ask another person your age. How old are you? And you have to be forthcoming about that. And the second question, which is perfectly legitimate, and is shared throughout the culture is, how much money do you make per month? Isn't that interesting? So how old are you and how much money do you make? And so Grandpa and I got in a conversation through our friend who was translating for us, and he said, how old are you? And I told him, and he was surprised to learn how old I was because he thought I looked younger than my age. And then the second... Then the second question was, how much money do you make per month? And I told him. And one of his questions to me was, and he was quite astounded by how much money I make per month. And he asked me in the context of our conversation, are, are you a basketball player because of my height? 
And I said, well, I, I played when I was younger, but I never played for money. But there are men in the United States who play for money. And this was just as Michael Jordan was finishing his career with the Bulls. And he had signed a one-year contract with the Chicago Bulls for $30 million for that year, one year. And I extrapolated that out, you know, per month. So it was like, two, you know, whatever that number is, $2.5 million a month. <laughs> and so I said, well, I don't play basketball for money, but there are men in America. One man in America, for example, makes $2.5 million per month playing basketball. <laughs> And Grandpa laughed at that because, you know, that was just, he couldn't get his, and he, he laughed and he said, oh, I thought you said two and a half million dollars per month. That's hilarious. And I reiterated, yes, two and a half million dollars. I mean, it just blew his, have you ever seen someone whose mind just goes, and his mind is blown. I mean, there was no way for him to capture that reality. And I said to Grandpa, how old are you? Now, if I had guessed his age, I would have guessed him to be 70, 75 years old. He was 57. I call him Grandpa. How much money do you make per month, Grandpa, working for the government, providing livestock for the military? He said, uh, all of my life since I started the farm, I have made $12 per month. $12 per month. Any of you make that budget work? That night, they put this beautiful meal before us. It was beautiful. If you've been to Kazakhstan, you understand the hospitality value that's in the culture. And there's this fresh mutton, this lamb that had been butchered uh, in front of us, and, and this beautiful produce, delicately prepared and, sh you know, shaped. You know, some, some of the tomatoes look like flowers and the, and the cucumbers and the, and the other pieces of produce that they had grown in their own garden. I mean, were beautifully artistically designed and prepared to hours and hours and hours for the women of the family to prepare this meal. And they set it in front of us. And then I started doing the math. And I realized that the meal that they had set in front of us was probably everything they had for the next three months or so. I mean, it represented all their food for the next few months. And I sat there and I thought, I cannot eat this. I refuse to eat this food. It's all they have. I mean, they're not, they can't run down to the store tomorrow. That's it. They've emptied their stores to provide this meal. And I just thought, I'm not going to eat it. And I thought I heard the voice of God in that moment. And the voice of God to me said, don't you dare steal from them the power of their own generosity. Don't steal from them the power of their generosity. And I thought, you know, that's right. God can take care. And God will bless these people for their giving and their lavish hospitality. See, the spirit of this text in Luke chapter 6 is this. The measure of open-handed, open-hearted, joyful people who display in their servanthood the spirit of Christ, there is a level of attitude and of giving and of serving that will lead to a joyful life. That's what we're learning here. 
that as you give, it will be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. It's, it's one of the secrets to the kingdom. It's one of the keys to success. It's one of the, the issues that ultimately matter to us in our well-being and our sense of purpose in life. Last thought, and I'll go quick. Give your time and your talents. Give your time and your talents. Let me ask you this question. Do you think God is stingy? Do you think God is stingy? Stingy God? You're stingy God. No, no, the Sunday school answer is, well, no, God's not stingy. But watch this. Watch this. This is what happens to us. We say, you know, I, I believe God's good. And we, I thank you, God, you're, you're good. Yeah, that's right, you're good. And I'm thankful to that. But you know, if I had just a little bit more time, or if I had just a little bit more money, oh, actually, a lot more money, if I had a lot more money, then I could enjoy the great life you promised me. If I, if I just had different talents, you know, the talents you gave me, they're okay, but they're not the kind of talents that I would really pick for myself. I'd pick different talents. And so the talents you gave me, I just wish they were different. Because if I had different talents, then I could really enjoy the great life you've called me to have. And I mentioned this before, but only in America. I mean, think about this. Could we be surrounded by so much and think somehow that the secret to happiness is having more? The fact is God has given us a great gift, gift after gift after gift. Psalm 116 asks the question, what can I give the Lord for all the good things he's given to me? And the answer is you can't. It's a rhetorical question. God has given us so much. And the fact is God has given all of us, every one of us, enough time. And he's given us enough treasure, enough money. He's given us enough talent to enjoy the great life that he has in store for us. So it's about engaging and employing and investing all of those resources God's given you so that your life can be fulfilled. I wonder, I wonder what God may be asking you to do. I wonder what God may be asking you to, to give. And if you'll ask him, God will speak to you about these things because he wants your life to be full. He wants your life to be delightful. He wants your life to be enjoyable. And the way that you find that kind of joyful life is by serving and by giving. Well, let's pray about these things for just a moment and ask God to speak to us. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Lord, I thank you today that your promise is that if we give, it shall be given unto us. So Lord, encourage us to give praise and admiration. Help us to give the words. Help us to give our time and talent. Remind us, Lord, if we wash dirty feet, then you will bathe our head in oil. As we give servant love, we will never be disappointed. And so I thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Now, inspire us, empower us, embolden us more and more to be people who are open-handed and open-hearted, generous with our words, with our time, with every resource that you give us. Help us then, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen.